Welcome to this special episode of the Sight and Sound podcast and the Brailcast podcast as well. I'm not your usual host. Uh, you might not know my voice. You might know my voice. I don't know. But hey, I am Stephen Scott and I am here today with uh, well, bringing us all together from both podcasts, Sight and Sound and Brailcast. I've got uh, virtually on my left, Stuart Lawler from the Sight and Sound Technology Podcast. Can we say that virtually? I suppose it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for thank you for being our virtual host, our celebrity <laughs> host, by the way. Wow. So great to have you. I'm honoured. I am honoured. Seriously, you. I am. This is brilliant. Uh, Matthew Horsepool is here from Brailcast, of course, part of the Brailists Foundation. How are you, Matthew? I'm very good, Stephen. Thank you so much for bringing us together. And I guess the reason I'm here hosting this, I'm I feel like a mediator. I feel like I feel like we should be. <laughs> We're not arguing. Don't worry. I know, no, I, I'm Scottish, and I'm expecting a fight. Yeah, right. Um, but it's, it's not the case. This is actually more about bringing everyone together, especially this World Braille Day, uh, to talk about, you know, frankly, Braille and how relevant it is, how it's useful in various settings as well, right? Because this is always the conversation that comes up. It's it's the forever conversation about how relevant is Braille. Um, and I think that's always a good place to start because, you know, I think that question still has a relevancy in 2022. You know, how relevant is it considering how much technology is available in different ways that we can access through audio and all the rest of it? Stuart, maybe uh, from your point of view, it's sight and sound. I mean, you obviously you sell a lot of products around Braille, so I guess you hope it's still relevant, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And you know something, Sight Village London in November was absolutely manic, and the amount of interest in Braille, in Braille tech, and and just people even coming with uh, some of their Braille tech that they'd had for a while to talk about that and how they could maximise use of it. But also, Stephen, I suggest um, speaking to your to your to your question. I only had a conversation yesterday with a lady who was talking about her two low vision. Uh, children who are now in their late teens and she she wishes they had been taught braille earlier on uh because they're 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 struggling a little now and it it's really made me think a bit about that whole journey about when we learn braille or at what point uh we learn braille so uh, that the, all these things are in are in my head as we come together to plan this conference yeah and and this is i guess an area for me i have talked about this on my show quite a lot that I feel that there needs to be a conversation around the value of Braille and how it is implemented in in so many different ways, right? And especially in education and, and who gets the access to Braille. You know, growing up as a kid, partially sighted kid, I didn't get that opportunity at all. Uh, only by chance that I got the, the opportunity to learn grade one, only because the teacher was learning Braille and she wanted a guinea pig to try out her teaching on. And that's how I learned grade one. But otherwise, I wouldn't have had a chance because I was told, well, you know, you've got some vision. You don't need Braille. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I think the, again, uh, and, and I suppose, listen, people, people talk about this a lot, the whole idea of Braille leading to you know, potentially better career prospects, um, I guess opening more avenues to you. And just, I don't know, the idea of being able to not have to rely on technology all the time to be able to walk away from the computer. I still like to read hard copy Braille. I still like Braille on paper, you know. All right, so let's talk about why we're here today specifically. I mean, World Braille Day, of course, is the reason we're talking about the subject, but there's more going on. Stuart, what's, what's happening from your point of view? So uh, on World Braille Day on the 4th of January, uh, we are running um, a conference online 
to just celebrate Braille, I suppose. And the reason we decided to do this is I, I've been watching, like, and really I've been watching all the great work that the Brailleists have been doing since the start of lockdown uh, with all this online stuff that's been going on. And a lot of what we do outside of just product and selling product and training is trying to work with the community and uh, engage with the community. And our CEO is very is very passionate about doing that. So um, I, I kind of thought it would be really good to try to do something for World Braille Day. I spoke to Matthew and we sort of um, hatched a plan to collaborate and do something that will look at Braille throughout the life cycle. So right from the start, from your learning Braille in school to going through college and you know using Braille in the workplace and using Braille just in your own time in leisure, you know, being able to go in and pick up that um, menu when you go out for something to eat, you know, all these things are very powerful. And uh, we're coming together on the on the fourth of January uh, to talk about all that stuff. Matthew, do you want to pick up on that and add anything? Yeah. So, um, at, certainly at the Brailleists Foundation, we've been very good at talking to Braille users directly. Um, and obviously we've managed to make Braille users very passionate about Braille and they've, they've all become Braille advocates and the momentum about Braille has changed, you know, enormously in the past sort of two or three years. And we're very proud of that. But the overlap between Braille users and the professionals, you know, the QTVIs, the, um, the mobility officers, the, the DSA access to work needs assessors, you know, all of these people, um, the overlap is actually not that great. And so although we've managed to really sort of, you know, promote braille amongst braille users we haven't really managed to reach the professionals in the way that we would have liked to um so what we're really hoping to do it, it's a morning conference it runs from quarter past nine in the morning till lunchtime it's on zoom and we're really hoping that we'll be able to reach not just braille users but also qtvis you know dsa needs assessors all the people that i've talked about disability officers at universities um maybe you know, representatives from big employers, you know, maybe some of them will come along. And actually what we're hoping to do is really sell Braille to them so that they are then in a position to teach Braille and to support Braille and to, you know, to go back and advocate for Braille within their service or with, with their colleagues or, you know, try and, and encourage the students that they work with or the, the, the blind people that they work with, try and encourage them to use Braille rather than discourage them, which is what we think is happening at the moment. We're also very lucky and we're really thrilled to have our keynote presenter on the day, who is uh, the broadcaster, Peter White from the BBC. So, you know, and if you've ever if you've ever heard if you've ever heard Peter speak, you'll know he's passionate about Braille. He's a lifelong Braille user. I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Okay, so how do we register for this? So you can find all the information you need, uh, including the link uh, to register on the uh, sightandsound.co.uk website. It's under upcoming events. And uh, I think there's similar information, Matthew, on the brailleists.org website as well. Yes, definitely. We'll put it right on the homepage uh, in the in the latest news section. We'll put the link there. And it's, it's a Zoom registration form. Um, if you have any problems with that form, you can, of course, reach out to either the Brailleists or to Sight and Sound. And the event is absolutely free of charge. So, you know, please do register and come along and, and hear what we've got to say. What a great way to start your year. You know, it is important that children learn Braille, but it is also for the reason that it gives blind children a better chance in the workplace. And we, we shouldn't shy away from that. You know, I, I sometimes feel that when we talk about Braille, we kind of 
hold that back a little bit or feel a little bit nervous about saying it because it somehow suggests that if you don't have Braille in your life, you you can't have a good career. But let's be perfectly honest about it. You can and you will have more opportunity if you have Braille in your life. Yeah, totally. For all sorts of reasons as well. I mean, there's the argument that, you know, Braille is literacy and that Braille helps spelling and all of this sort of thing. And then there's the counter argument that, well, does Braille really help spelling because you've got contractions and all that. But, you know, it goes beyond that. It goes, you know, spatial awareness of what's happening on the page. This was always a big one for me. I did not understand why it was so important to put page numbers in my Word documents until I was given a Braille book that didn't have page numbers. And all of a sudden, I just went, you know what, this is just the most difficult thing in the world to navigate. And I had a whole new appreciation for that you know, after that for page numbers, for running headers, for running footers, for clear headings, you know, I started to understand how tables worked because I'd seen tables or felt tables in Braille. Um, and, and all of that really sort of led me to, you know, be able to produce documents that looked good. I mean, they still don't look brilliant. You know, I need to, <laughs> need to get a sighted person to check over the really complicated ones. But yeah, you know, basic documents with headings and tables and lists and paragraphs, you know, I can do all of that. And I can do that because I can visualize the, the braille that was on the page. And then, and then, of course, you know, we go towards making presentations and the ability to read your notes and present from them without having headphones in so that you can hear what's around you. Uh, I sing in the choir at Coventry Cathedral, which is just fantastic. And I do this through Braille. And I definitely wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for the fact that I had Braille words and Braille music. Stuart, do you want to pick up on that? Well, I, I was just going to add um, to Matthew's point and just say that, you know, there are that there are times when it is really important to be, and it's not always convenient, especially the whole point about, you know, being able to make a presentation. Um, to be able to pick up your braille and read. And I also find that I will, or at least I tend um, to retain much more when I read as opposed to listen. So I guess it's uh, similar to sighted people saying that they, when they see something, they take it in quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and when, when did you both learn braille? Was it from birth, from your, well, not from, not from birth, obviously. Well, near enough. Yeah, yeah, near enough. When I was in nursery, I started nursery at two and a half. I was an early starter at nursery. And I think certainly by the time I'd left nursery, the concept of Braille had been introduced, if not the, the letters themselves. I think I might have known one or two letters when I left nursery, you know, but certainly the idea that you had a brailler and you could braille things on it. And I think I had a name label on my coat peg at nursery in braille. Um, and I don't think I could read it, but nobody else had a coat peg with, with the name on in braille. So I at least knew to look out for the braille. And so, yeah, it was introduced at a very early age. I don't know about you, Stuart. Yeah, I think my journey is, is something similar to yours. I went to, uh, I went to a Montessori school uh, locally uh, near to where, uh, to where my parents uh, were living and still live. And... Um, Actually, the the teacher in that school took it upon herself to learn uh, the alphabet, which was hugely helpful because we did start, and I mean that was my foundation. And then I remember somebody from the the blind school uh, in Dublin coming down with a with a Perkins brailer, and this was just like this amazing device that you know never knew what a braille machine looked like, and it was very exciting. But you know that's the thing, right? As kids, we are all sponges. We can pick up this stuff so much easier than you can 
later in life. You know, I mean, not that not that you can't learn Braille later in life, and we will talk about that. But what I do want to ask you both, you're both in different parts of the world to some degree. You know, Matthew, you're in the UK and Stuart, you're in Ireland. What is the case currently? What is the situation currently when it comes to children learning Braille in the UK, in Ireland? Is it still the case that, you know, partially sighted kids are losing out and, and blind children are, are getting Braille, or has that changed? It depends on the funding, of course. It depends on local authorities and what local authorities are are sort of capable of delivering. Um, some, certainly in the UK, some local authorities are more wealthy than others. Some put more emphasis on Braille than others. It's it's certainly true to say, if we start positively, um, it's true to say, if you are blind, if you are absolutely unequivocally, you know, absolutely blind, you you you, you just you just can't you know deny that, then you will be taught Braille. Um, unless your parents kick up a stink and say you shouldn't learn Braille. But like, no, you know, the, the default position is still, if you can't see, then you'll learn Braille. Um, partially sighted people, yeah. And it, it's it's certainly less common in the UK. And, and it's got worse. You know, I, I remember when I was at school, if you were reading size 24 print, you know, you really ought to be starting to learn Braille. Now it's kind of, if you're reading 36 or 48, you know, you, you should start reading Braille in some local authorities. So, yeah, definitely partially sighted people get a, a raw deal, I think. And it's something similar over here in terms of partially sighted people anyway. people are, Although there are some dual learners, I know of a couple of kids who are using, for example, Braille for um, their literary-based subjects and using uh, large print for maths and geography, and that, that seems to work okay. Uh, funding here is not, um, is not regionally um is not regionally managed it's all centrally managed so um the visiting teacher service here in ireland uh who are the equivalent of qtvis uh, they work around the country their challenge is that they just don't have enough time to spend with braille learners so there we uh, i suppose if anything we need more of them on the ground yeah it doesn't sound like much has changed then that's that's kind of depressing in a way um especially like you said matthew you know for for kids who are the, the size 24 point you know from that point onwards you know i i think there's an argument that they really should be learning because you know how do we know and this was the case for me how do you know that your eye condition won't change and this is the fear i think that when i was growing up it was a case of well the eye condition i have won't change and that's that's essentially how they des- decided it it was decided because well your your eye condition won't change some doctor somewhere says you know, it will never change. So therefore, there's no point you learning Braille. And I realize now how valuable Braille would have been in my life had I learned it at that young age. I mean, you know, what I will, and the reason I can, I can say that with some level of confidence because as I had the chance to learn grade one by chance, when I went back to learning Braille later in life, at about 35, 36, it all came flooding back. It was all there. You know, I wasn't using it all those years, but I, I still remembered it. And it's great too, I'm having difficulty with because that's new, you know, and if I had all that in my mind, it would have been a lot easier, right? Yeah, definitely. And also just, I mean, you, you, you talked about eye conditions changing. It's not even about eye conditions changing. It's about, I mean, it is, but it's also about circumstances changing. I've, I've you know, I've come across partially sighted people who were discouraged from learning Braille who have routine headaches, you know, they just cannot function because they're trying to use their eyes for everything. Yes. And they weren't just discouraged from learning Braille. They were discouraged from using screen readers. They were discouraged from using the white cane. You know, they could see well enough that 
they ought to act like a sighted person and function like a sighted person. The problem is eye strain, right? Yeah, yeah, fine. When you're six or seven, of course, there's not much print on the page. So you can cope with that. When you're 16 and 17 and reading textbooks, you've used your eyes so much to read your textbooks during the day that you then can't use your eyes to cross the road in the evening. And that's, you know, that that is worrying. You know, why on earth are we using, why are we putting so much pressure on these eyes to do things when the fingers and the ears and things, that, that they can they can take on some of the load? And also just one of the things that, that always gets me is people who say Braille is too hard or Braille, that'd be, Braille would be very hard for that person or it's, it's too much for that person. And usually the people who say Braille is too much are people who you know, who, who don't know Braille themselves, they may be teaching or they may be supporting a student. But, you know, um, at least let, let the person make that call. Although I will say that I think that children are not the best to make that decision sometimes. And I think parents can sometimes stand in the way. You know, I know as a kid, you know, any opportunity I had not to do something, I'd rather do that. Um, and, you know, you, and as you were mentioning earlier, but Matthew, you know, when it comes to parents they can also get in the way of this because you know my parents didn't really want to see me as that you know as that blind kid so you know braille just makes it suddenly you look blind and i think that's that's another area here isn't it that you know it's it's it's, it's interesting when we talk about braille and we, we sit down and we talk about braille day you kind of think well we're going to discuss braille and, and dots and the importance of dots and reading and all that but actually it's so much more than that it's so much more social than that it's so much more intrinsic to our identity and who we are yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I had a parent once I was working at Exor Grange School. Um, I had a parent who actually came in and saw me and said, why are you teaching my son Braille? And I said, well, because I think he's going to need it. And um, and the parents basically turned around and said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But um, we just think that by teaching him Braille, we're switching off his eyes. And I don't want to switch off his eyes. And I said that, basically going back to what I said in the previous question, I said, yeah, okay, let's let's take that. I said, we basically are switching off his eyes, but we're switching off his eyes for a damn good reason, you know? <laughs> and um, it just, yeah, parents, parents get in the way, children get in the way, you know, nobody wants to actually learn it, but it's such a valuable skill once you have learned it. So let's zoom forward a little bit and think about the workplace. How valuable does Braille become when you're in the workplace? You know, taking everything we've just said on board, Stuart. Well, I think those of us who have to attend lots of meetings or presentations, you know, I, I find wearing something in my ear and listening to my screen reader, even if it's just in one ear, I do feel somewhat disconnected from a room or from a conversation. And actually, even with online meetings now, and I guess we've all been doing more of those, I tend to turn off my screen reader's speech uh, and use Braille because I feel a bit more connected. So. In that type of system, I suppose, or, or that type of uh, scenario, that's where I find Braille most useful, as well as going back to a point I made earlier, being able to just digest things a little quicker when I can read them in front of me. Matthew, where, where do you stand on that? Very similar to Stuart, to be honest. Just the ability to, yeah, read things and and write things and not have to put headphones in is just so incredibly valuable in so many different ways in terms of, you know, um, reading the room. Uh, also in terms of looking engaged, you know, my eyes are closed. I've, I've got bilateral microphthalmia, you know, my eyes, they're so small that believe you me, you wouldn't want to see what was behind them if you, if you open them up. So like they, they're closed. I look like I'm asleep half the time. 
if I've got headphones in as well, so that, you know, I'm not just asleep, but I'm asleep with headphones in. I mean, how on earth that must look to people when I'm in a meeting, you know, versus being able to sit up and at least even if I'm not looking at them because my eyes are closed, at least I'm sat up straight and, you know, my head is turning to follow the conversation and I can, I can function, you know, at least, you know, at least I can, I don't know, I can look engaged in other ways. I just think that is just so important. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way. I always think of it from my point of view of how I feel being able to read something in silence, being able to, you know, maybe have a conversation with someone across a table whilst also being able to take information down and relay information. Uh, I never really thought of it that way from from how other people perceive me in that environment. You're absolutely right. I remember learning a screen reader back in 2017. And I remember, I don't know if it's just one of those things, but when you start to learn a screen reader, you you tend to, your head just lolls forward and you do, you end up looking as if you're falling asleep. And my boss said to me at the time, are you sleeping up there? And he shouted across the room and I'd never been so embarrassed in my life because I, I thought, I'm not sitting up here sleeping. I'm trying desperately to understand what this damn thing is saying. And, you know, that that's the problem, right? That, you know, there's a perception that comes as a, a creation of what blind looks like, I think, out of all that, which creates, I think, all these misconceptions of, of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose, especially if your head is moving to, uh, nearer to your to your to your keyboards and you're you, you look as though you're slumped over. <laughs> so, yeah, completely. Well, and it goes through all stages as well, doesn't it? Right. Like if you're in a job interview, right. This is the first time an employer has ever met you. You're in the interview. You are taking notes in the interview because that's what you do as a studious person in an interview. And you, you've perhaps got questions that you want to ask them at the end and you've got them all written down. If you're sat there with a headphone in, you know, <laughs> listening to that on your phone or your computer or whatever it happens. To, I mean, no, let's not even talk about listening to it on the phone. You know, you're sat in a job interview with your phone out looking like you're texting someone. I mean, come on, like that, that no one is going to give you a job if that's what you look like. I mean, that, that we can argue about whether that is morally right or not, but it's the reality of the situation, surely. And this comes back to a point I bring up a lot around personal responsibility of ourselves. You know, the, the fact that we have to think about what is right for ourselves. And in a sense that whilst personal responsibility and taking that responsibility is important, you need to have the tools there in place. And of course, if Braille hasn't been an option for you as a child, and now you're an adult, that can be challenging. However, there is an upside here. And this is something which I think this year and, and last year to some degree as well, you guys working together have, have actually been putting together some great things. I think at the Braillist Foundation, the work you guys have done to try and promote Braille as something for people who are older, who are not part of the bracket, who didn't learn Braille as a, as a child, who didn't grow up with it and didn't have access to it in the workplace can still use and utilize Braille. Tell people what you've been doing at the Braillist Foundation to try and, you know, make Braille available to as many people as possible who are who are older. Oh, for sure. So actually, we've uh, we've got a really good package now of things that we're doing, um, starting with Braille for Beginners. Uh, this is a, a um, well. We say it's sort of an eight to twelve week course, but it can it can take as long as it wants to take, really. Um, braillists.org slash beginners for more information about that and you can um you can sign up you get pre-recorded lessons you get hard copy resources and then you also get access to a, you know a live tutor you know you can email the tutor back and forth there are zoom sessions once a month where you can get questions answered um 
you know, so we, and, and we've, we've done really well out of that. We've got, you know, um, we, we across all of the Braille for Beginners courses that we've run, we've had sort of three or 400 registrations. It's, you know, it really is very good. And most of those are uh, older people who, you know, resource centers for the blind have said to us, you know, oh, well, we don't want to do Braille because there's not enough demand for it. And we've absolutely demonstrated that there is definitely enough demand for it, you know. Um, and then moving on from that, of course, we run uh, the Braille Bar, which is our uh, is sort of more sort of advanced sort of Q and A about Braille. We run Braille Master Classes where we talk about, for example, um, Braille on a particular topic. So we might talk about Braille on the iPhone or Braille on Windows or uh, advanced JAWS features with Braille or uh, using Braille for presentations. You know uh, the Braille Code. So we've done one on Grade Three Braille, which doesn't officially exist anymore, but lots of people still use it. Um, using the abacus, you know, a whole host of things for, for beginners right the way up to very advanced Braille users. We did a session quite a while ago on Markdown and how to write Markdown in Braille um, so that even if you had a Braille device, like a, you know, a, a Braille display that didn't have Microsoft Word capabilities on it, but it did have text capabilities, you could still write formatted documents and that went down very well. And then we have our book club where people can practice their reading um, and that that is at all levels. We have a beginners group, an improvers group, an intermediate group, and an advanced group uh, on that uh, book club there on a Thursday. So lots of stuff going on there. Braillists.org is the website to get more information on that. And I'll give you that again at the end of the interview. But I want to just touch on the tech side as well here, Stuart, from your perspective at Sight and Sound Technology, right? Because, you know, it, there was a time when the Braille equipment that you needed was very expensive but that is changing and there are a lot more options out there now from someone who wants to get into braille at, at you know her age or someone who's you know coming you know into the workplace who needs access to technology there's a lot of options available now right absolutely and uh you know you mentioned the price is changing and it is it's probably not changing as quickly as some people would like and, and i think would kind of probably speak for everyone there but yeah, there's lots of, I suppose there is more choice than there was. And our product of the year, of course, and somebody said it to me yesterday, they said, my product of the year is the Hable one. And it's probably, in some respects, inside and sound, it's probably our product of the year as well. This tiny little Braille Bluetooth keyboard or Braille controller, if you want to call it that, that allows you to use your touchscreen phone. And indeed, I know a couple of the people who were on the Braille for Beginners course with the Braillists used it to to just learn Braille. So this is not something that has, uh, it doesn't actually have any Braille on it, but you can type in Braille. And then you go up to that, to your uh, things like your focus, for example, uh, Braille displays, uh, Q Braille um, from HIMSS, and of course the Braille Sense uh, 6, which there's been lots and lots of stuff, I think even on your podcast in the past, um, Stephen, about that. Uh, but also we have a lot of, um, material on the Sight and Sound YouTube and podcast channels to allow people to get up to speed. And we did a, a, a number of, of training sessions. So those devices are being used across school and college and work, but also just for people to have at home and for somebody to be able to pick up a device and take it out with them and be able to communicate uh, is, is very powerful. Okay, so this is the promotion moment. Uh, this is where all the podcasts and, and companies and everyone gets a chance to sell our wares. Uh, so <laughs> I mentioned the Braillist website, Matthew. Um, just remind us uh, where else we can find out information about you. 
well, braillists.org, of course, but also, yes, the, the Braillecast uh, podcast is probably the main other channel where people can find out about us. Uh, if you just search for Braillecast in your podcast client of choice, you, we, we're on all the smart speakers. Um, and we also have a dedicated website for Braillecast. It's just braillecast.com. And Stuart, tell us all about sight and sound technology. Uh, yeah, so sightandsound.co.uk on the web. Uh, sales at sightandsound.co.uk is the general email address um, if you want to get in touch with us. And on the phone, uh, call us on 01604-798-070. And I'm available wherever you get good podcasts. Uh, we have a daily show called Double Tap. Uh, you can also find us in Canada on AMI-TV and we're on YouTube as well at Double Tap On Air, which is our username across social media that is how you can follow us uh, it's been really interesting talking to you guys today about braille this world braille day Stuart Lawler and Matthew Hospital thank you for joining me.